I'm Matt Howie, and welcome to Hobby Horse. Uh, today with us is Tiffany Ashley Bell. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Tiffany, um, you uh, do... The human utility. The human utility. I thought it was like a, the water project or something like super um, um, generic, but the human utility. And can you describe the human utility? It's a pretty cool project. Yeah, yeah. So the human utility, we basically pay water bills for people that can't afford to pay their own in Detroit and Baltimore and a bunch of surrounding cities in Michigan. Um, like when cities have to go into the, just kind of like why we do this, like when cities underinvest in infrastructure and whatnot, sometimes they have to, uh, accelerate their collections and whatnot to be able to build new pipes and what, and whatever. And, uh, they do that by raising rates, but they do that to people who can't quite afford these rate increases every year. And so a lot of folks get caught in, uh, this whole shutoff situation because they end up having to pay something that they can't pay because maybe they're on a fixed income or they they're you know they they're underemployed they lost their job or whatnot so we just crowdfund money and step in and pay bills for people when that happens. So the cities are up in the rates before they've done the construction. Yeah. So it was, it was probably <laughs> why don't why don't they do the like city bonds or state bonds like? Well, I mean, so in Detroit's case, that kind of has happened a little bit. Like they they have all this like baggage from their bankruptcy, for example. Right. So you've got all these like investment banks that they owe a ton of money to, like billions of dollars to, and so they have to like recruit some of that money uh, some kind of way. Of course, for having made these infrastructure investments, but then of course, then for having uh, taken out all this money, and then you know they do that by having to balance the books, so to speak, and they do that by raising rates. How much do they raise it? Is there there's there's no laws against it? I would assume. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of the issue. Like in some places they have caps, other places like Detroit, you know, they. One of the things that was funny that I saw, like either for this summer or, or last summer, they talked about how they had raised uh, their rates. They had the lowest rate increase they've had in years. So it's kind of like they're having to brag about like <laughs> didn't gouge you as much this year. Because I remember I was looking at some of our data one time, and um, like so, the way it's structured is there's there's the water bill and there's a sewer bill, but it's just collectively referred to as the water bill. So what happens in Detroit basically is that like um, the sewer bill is always going to be more than the water bill because it comes in and goes out and whatnot, but it's always like a lot more, and you can't do anything around that as far as conservation goes. Um, but then also like. Uh, one year, if we, if we say like one year, the sewer rate was like $15 per whatever the unit is, um, cubic feet of, of whatever that goes in and out. Um, it went from like 15 to 19 the following year. So it has those kinds of like increases. And then, you know, people, again, you can't conserve what you send in and what you send out. So it's kind of hard to manage that expense. That's like a 20% rate increase. That's, that's, that's pretty substantial. Right, right. But there's no sort of, there's nothing stopping that besides like angry constituents who end up still having to put the bill for it. So was it like in other countries? Is that, um, yeah, I have no idea what water bills are like in other countries. Yeah, so I know that... Um, I mean, it's like a human, I mean, a basic need. I mean, we all drink water. Yeah, but you can't tell the people in city governments that. Um, <laughs> like, so, so at least, like, France, for example, has the decency to put water as a human right into their constitution, I think. 
We don't have that here. Um, <laughs> I know that uh, Mexico was having some issues around affordability, but I hadn't looked at that in a while. But I know France is one of the ones that stands out as, as they've actually like explicitly said something about it, the right to water. Yeah, well, I was looking at the human utility, I was just thinking like, man, why isn't this just an automatic thing? Like, like, why do we have water bills? And I, and they're always like local um, utilities and local monopolies, and they charge. I guess they have to charge something. But it seems, I mean, electricity is something you can meter, and yeah. it's not absolutely necessary. But like water, we need to survive. Um, yeah, I never thought about it till. How was it like working with the Y Combinator? No, so that was interesting. Um, they they do fund nonprofits. Like some people are like, you're a not for profit. How did you go through YC? What but, I mean, the, the point for them is to kind of have you operate like a for-profit in a couple of different ways, like especially being aggressively metrics-focused and being, uh, I wouldn't say more conservative, but just being more intelligent about how you use your funding. Because um, that was, it was a pretty intense experience. Because uh, I went through in winter 2015, so January through March 2015, and uh Kind of like, I mean, the biggest thing for me was just focusing on metrics or whatnot um, and just like picking one thing to optimize and then going for it with that. Because um, it's interesting just like talking about metrics. I've seen it in moments where I've kind of gotten away from focusing on that and our fundraising has slumped a little bit and that kind of thing. So it, it, it's, it's a good sort of discipline to stick to that they enforce for you. You were also at Code for America, and that's kind of what I feel like the friends that I've known gone through Code for America. Um, the idea, the idea doesn't seem very strange to me to have Y Combinator support nonprofits. Is that like, you can run them like a startup? You can have like the latest, cheapest tech as possible. You know, to like lower the costs and give people the best like service possible. And I could see, you know, I could see like funding thermometers and like you know and just like using a crm to like keep people in the loop that donated like here's where your money went here's what it you know did like these are things that you know any startup would be happy to do but like you rarely see in um charitable organizations that like don't have the tech chops you know to pull that off so yeah, yeah. totally but uh enough about that um let's talk about <laughs> f1 car racing um I asked you I asked you to do this because like you're the uh there's one or two people of the like thousand or twelve hundred people I follow that like regularly comment on uh F one racing, which is um to be clear, this is like the highest level of car racing. The things look like indie cars, but indie cars are different, right? Than an F one car or is it kind of the same? No, they're different. They're oh, yeah. Because like an indie car is just making left turns. Um yeah. <laughs> F F one race, like these courses are like a couple miles long and they're twisty and curvy and high speed and low speed uh versus indies kind of like all out but um but yeah like uh you know maybe a couple friends i mean it is just like it's like a language from mars to me <laughs> like when people are stoked about some race or uh they're handicapping what they're about to see um and i just wanted to hear like how'd you get into it like what's fun about it yeah so me getting into it was kind of a fluke around like when I was graduating from college like going on now I'm getting old 10 years ago um and I was looking for something online about President Obama um I think that was actually before he got elected um and so like some somebody had written something where they were talking about people who should play Obama as an actor 
And one of the people that they chose as a lookalike was the driver, Lewis Hamilton. Uh-huh. Um, he's, he, drive, he drove for McLaren when I first started following him, but then he, uh, he's on Mercedes now. And I just thought it was kind of like funny. But I was like, who's this guy? Because first of all, he didn't look like Obama at all. And he didn't back then either. Um, but then I just was like, well, he's a race car driver. What's this about? And so I thought he was cute. So there's kind of like a shallow sort of like <laughs> for getting into it. But I've always like so I my my dad was in the army as well and so we were stationed in Germany twice and the second time we were there I was I I was probably what seven or eight um, and I was just always kind of aware of the fact that like this is where like the fast cars you hear about like BMWs and Mercedes are because you get to be on the autobahn I remember being in the car with my dad that had bought a BMW and like just speeding all the time. So it's always been kind of in my blood and like an interest of mine to drive like fast or whatever. So it was kind of interesting just to kind of come across formula one. Cause I've never liked NASCAR, like mm-hmm. whole vibe around it was just not my, um, <laughs> like there's, a, there's, I mean, it's, it's just a Southern thing. Like I'm from North Carolina. So like the heart of oh, it God, is yeah. Charlotte, but I just have never been into it. Um, again, because it's like you've said before, you know, the F1 tracks, they, they, they go crazy sort of the alt, you know, uh, altitudes and, and there's changes and turns and whatever. Whereas like just all these other races, NASCAR, whatever, they just drive in ovals and it's kind of like, okay, that's it. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's exciting about it, but it's just never been my thing, but that's like the, the really weird story of how I got into it. And I saw it Lewis and I just was like, Oh, who's this or whatever. <laughs> he looks like a soccer star. Like he looks amazing. He does. He does. He's gotten more sort of flamboyant as he's, he's gotten further along in his career. Cause when he first started, he didn't have all these tattoos and all these weird hairstyles. He looked like a regular guy. Um, and that was it. But now he's kind of like, he's been a model. He's on magazine covers. He's like on, I think he's on British GQ now, like where, so so uh have you been into it for the last 10 years off and on i would say is there like a like a like whatever the like mlb pass is or like nfl pass is there like a like do you have to do weird stuff like i do like i watch weird um european bike races and i have to like grab an ip from the netherlands and like load these strange websites at 3 30 in the morning to watch a race um is there like something easier for F1 racing? Well, it kind of was like that because like, uh, what is it? In, it um, NBC used to cover it, but like it was some other version of NBC. So you kind of had like ordered as a special channel or whatever. It's like the speed oh. or something that they kind of covered, but like now ESPN carried it this year. So it's actually, uh, it's actually pretty accessible. It still sucks as far as the time goes. Cause it's mostly a European sport. So like, most of like they had a race what was it the british grand prix this past weekend and it was like six o'clock in the morning west coast time to watch it so i, I watched it after i got up <laughs> and watch it live so tivo it <laughs> exactly like i have sling so i end up like catching it some other time but of course then like following it on twitter you already kind of know once you open the app who won so you just have to watch it just for the just for seeing what happened really yeah that's a yeah i have to do the same thing especially right now at the world cup you know wake up late on the west coast and you just you know you've missed it and you can't you gotta black out everything um like walk me through a race like um i feel like uh the races i follow uh if you watch a couple you quickly pick up on the stories right like the teams versus teams and the and the 
um, the personalities versus each other, like the individuals versus each other, but then the, like the weird team loyalty to one another. Then when people jump teams, um, and you know, they get bitter about it and they (laughs) fight, does all that stuff kind of happen in F1? Yeah, there's a lot of drama that goes on. Um, and it's, I guess it's because everybody's so competitive and it's, it's totally like a male driven sport. I mean, there's women involved, like as like some of the race strategists and stuff like that, but they're not drivers. So it's a very testosterone driven thing. Um, and I think about like, uh, again, Lewis Hamilton, his former teammate, Nico Rosberg, they were always in each other's throats at one point. Um, and actually they, they grew up together sort of because like, so one thing that happens with, with F1 drivers, a lot of them get into this by go-karting as little kids or whatever. And Nico and Lewis had known each other since those days or whatever. And so it got to a head where you would see kind of like, just like a lot of cattiness between them. And then, uh, there were some race issues that happened, um, just because of like certain people thinking that like. I guess uh, Mercedes was favoring one driver over another and that kind of thing. Um, especially, it was a, I think it was a year before last, Nico ended up being world champion. But like some people were kind of saying that that came about as in, um, what do I want to say? Because like Mercedes kind of had to like, kind of, I wouldn't say tell Lewis to stand down, but like let Nico win too, kind of. Yeah. Um, it was that kind of thing people were saying was happening because like, it's interesting how like, you know, Nico wins world champion and immediately retires. So it's like, you know, it's kind of stuff, but I think, you know, I think that's kind of like the worst thing I've seen that I've paid attention to in recent years. Like, Cause there's a lot of history that goes back. But I've only watched it like in recent times to see. Whoa, stuff. he retired at thirty-three. Uh, like, is this a young man's sport? Like twenty-five to thirty is your peak or something? I don't know, but that's probably sort of a thing. Because I mean, you have to have like a certain body type and stuff, cars or whatever, and like you know, those aerodynamics are important. And then like you have to actually be fit or whatever too. Yeah. And, like, some people just kind of you know you drive for so long, you're not gonna make certain progress after a certain point. So it's just like, I mean, it's, it's an acuity thing too. Like you yeah. know, you're doing 200 miles an hour. Sometimes you have to be able to be sharp with some of that sort of stuff. So, and there's no women at all in it. There's no like Danica Patrick's that broke through or anything. Not that are, there might be some test drivers actually, but not as in like they've, they've ever driven as in a race anywhere, unfortunately. So I, I kind of liked it when she broke through with NASCAR and IndyCar because the other drivers all protested because, <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, a, a woman could be, like, 100 pounds, like, a small. Yeah. We're like, these dudes are incredibly fit. They're, they're, I know they're insanely fit, but, like, and they're all, like, 5'9", like, they maybe yeah. weigh 120 or 30 pounds. Like, 20, 30 pounds is massive in those cars because yeah. they're so lightweight. You know, what are they running these days, like, a, like 2000 pounds or less or like 1200 pounds. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, dropping 20 pounds is like really hard to do in metal and carbon fiber and all that stuff. And like, yeah, I remember NASCAR, uh, drivers instantly protesting when she started racing cause she had like 30 pounds on them. And it was like, yeah, so like she's faster. She's smaller. Right. She's not going to gain weight to make y'all happy. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not unfair. She's using every advantage. Like it's good. Right. So Yeah. Yeah, it's weird to think um, 200 miles an hour. I, I don't even think our vision is, like, tuned to that. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't know how these guys do it. <laughs> well, the, the fastest I've ever gone in a car is 120 miles an hour driving. And 
it's it takes getting used to. <laughs> like, it's a lot of information coming in. It is. It is, and it's 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 a lot of information coming in. It's a lot of reacting that you have to do. Um, I did it in someone's Mercedes that I had on a back road in North Carolina one time, um, and it was freaky because like just the idea of slowing down at those speeds was wild. And I wasn't even going around a curve or anything. I was just on a straightaway. And so, like, yeah, it's a lot of training that those guys do. Yeah, I mean, people talk about uh, the the uh, top gear guys always talk about, like, above 200, like, your vision just blurs, <laughs> like, if you're not used to it. Like, like, I don't think humans are ever designed, like, our visual acuity to go that fast. Like, there'd be no reason why we'd yeah. ever, you know, actually, you know, we, like, naturally shouldn't go over, like, 30 miles an hour, maybe. And, like, it's, you know, we just do not know what to do with those speeds. Um, nope. How would someone get into this, like, if they wanted to, like, is there a way to dip your toe in it and follow it? What, as in racing or driving? Oh, I just meant watching it. Like, how do you, like, what's the best race of the year to watch? Like, what's your favorite? I like watching the Monaco Grand Prix just because of sort of the glamour of following it. And then it's also like a, one of the more narrow sort of, it's it's literally in the city of Monaco. It's not like its own, like, separate racetrack or anything like that. They shut off streets and everything. And so it's a really sort of narrow in-city track to watch and usually the safety car has to come out and all that sort of stuff because somebody might crash or whatever and it's really kind of a nice race is pass is passing impossible on it is it like that narrow no the overtaking is possible but it's just it's more dangerous so that's why you know stuff kind of happens in those races what else i think i don't know i don't really have any favorite races i just end up watching all of them and just kind of seeing what happens because i have like i mean i have more like favorite drivers than races <laughs> what's the uh season like like is it just all year kind of like nascar is like nascar is like 10 or 11 months a year it seems like yeah so i think it's like from march all the way to november with four like it goes from the australian grand prix is usually first and then it ends with the uh what is it? I don't you call it the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, but I think that's what they call it. Um, and it just ends in the UAE. And I've actually been to that track, the Yas Marina track in UAE. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, not during the races, unfortunately. I was there on vacation. And so, like, there's Ferrari has a theme park there. <laughs> and so they, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing, though, because they have some of their old F1 cars that are there, like in a museum kind of setting. And then you can actually drive a Ferrari or whatever. But it's right there on that F1 track, so. Oh, man, they have to do that race in December because it's probably the only time it's below, like, 110 degrees or whatever. No, so it's actually around Thanksgiving our time. It's, like, November 25th or something. Like, how long is a race normally? Like, how much How much do I have to invest in, like, following the whole thing? At least an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, that's, like, doable. That's like a soccer game. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not Some bad. of those NASCAR events are, like, six hours long, and I don't get it. Yeah, I don't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an attention thing for me. And it's like, they're going to just drive, like you said, making left turns all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Is it worth worth watching end to end? Or is like, do you put on like polite fast forward to zip through the first hour? Yeah, I mean, it's real repetitive, actually, it turns out. So it's got that NASCAR element to it, too. But I, I, depending on what I'm doing, I will watch it all the way through. And then sometimes I'll have like other stuff on. It'll be background noise, kind of, just depending on, like, who's winning or whatever and whatever's going on, so. Is there any, like, there's been a whole bunch of movies lately about it. Like, what do you think are, like, are there any ones you enjoyed as a as a fan? So there's always uh, Senna, 
Senna is a documentary about Ayrton Senna, who, um, for a while, he's still considered like the best F1 driver. Um, he died in a car crash, I think in the 90s, um, because like some of their safety standards, ironically, you would think that in something that you're going hundreds of miles an hour, like you would have better safety standards, but like, I think something happened with like his either was the analog brakes or the um, traction control. Like he lived, I mean, he would have been, gr- I mean, he'd probably still be around if he, if he was born five years later. Um, yeah. Like he just went through a transition of fully manual cars to like, somewhat automated cars and he went through that rough you know like people talk about hey if we could ever like uh you know download our brains and put it in a clone like don't be a beta tester for that like it's gonna be rough and it's kind of like man he just happened to be in the worst that worst transition where like yeah like does really simple things fail that are on economy cars now you know they're, they're so cheap and like refined now but yeah, it's a that's a great movie, but super sad. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's a great way of saying it. He was just in a, a bad sort of period as far as uh, what happened as far as safety standards and whatnot. There's a lot of stuff that they changed, though, as a result of mm-hmm. his uh, accident, which is good. And even stuff now that they've instituted that some people had problems with. Like, if you notice, if you watch the cars now, they look like flip-flops almost. <laughs> They've got like this. Uh, it's a halo that they install because, like, those right for like, rollovers you know, and stuff. Yeah, rollovers and t- debris flying during crashes and stuff like that. They they were unprotected for the most part, except for the helmet. But you know, stuff flying at certain speeds that's not going to help you. What uh, like our cars? Like, what is the tech like these days? Are they getting into like half hybrid, um, like half electric, half gas? Or are they all pure? like power like like regular combustion engines no nah, they're gas still they're gas still it's still fuel um but it's just kind of interesting like learning about the dynamics of that and like how much fuel they have on the cars or whatever and like you know the the aerodynamics changing as a result of like you know the fuel running out and that kind of thing but it's still totally just gas uh like how controlled is the car design is it like is it all standardized like is there like a, a unified body or something that like gives them rules on that stuff oh yeah, yeah yeah so there's the fia and that's like i mean that's what the formula stuff is about really like there's formula one there's formula three and formula e and all those and like those are just based on like the standards for designs for the cars so they like talk about things like what the certain body parts can be shaped like and that kind of thing um now, there's that standardization, but there's still room for interpretation, basically. So that's where, like, the differences between cars and performance and stuff comes from. But there's also, like, you know, cars having, like, reliability issues or whatever. So you can engineer a car that's good, but then, like, if it's got issues around, like, the power units or whatever, or just, like, something else goes wrong, then none of that other stuff matters, kind of. But So this is, like, still sport of millionaires, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, totally. any, anyone can get a, a go-kart and, and play for fun, but, like, this is this is millionaires. This is beyond millionaires, I would assume. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of money sunk into Formula 1. It's actually, they call it the world's most expensive sport, actually, because of all that. Um, just, yeah, it's very, very expensive. Just, I mean, because it's, it's really, I mean... The reason I like it, and I actually wish I could spend more time reading about some of that stuff, but it's really, really engineering-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's where all the money comes in. Are there any cheesy sponsors? <laughs> like Red Bull's a good global brand. Yeah, I don't. So let's see. Thinking of all the teams, not most of them are like well-known car companies or other like other brands. There's there's an Emirates Airlines. That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like scrolling through some photos. It's kind of whoever has the money. Basically. Yeah, it's weird. Cycling is in a bad spot right now. <laughs> And uh, the sponsors are getting way like a, a like a, a click down to like less reputable um, advertisers because of all the drugs. It, like you know all the normal like banks and oil companies or whatever the heck was sponsoring um, cycling have sort of fallen out, and it's like weird casinos and lotteries and like Middle Eastern princes and like it's getting pretty strange. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's it's like obviously the team names are like getting like like oh that's that's hmm like one of the major teams is a caffeinated shampoo which I know is probably oh. dodgy in whatever country allows it. That is like that's not really a thing here. It's just they they follow whoever is like the the whoever the most winning constructors are. Yeah, it seems like if you're uh, if you can get to this level of the sport and sponsor it for a year, you're probably in it for the long haul since it's so costly. Yeah. Yep. Um, if someone was going to get into it, what do you what would you suggest? Like, where should they get started? <laughs> Is it always like on Saturdays? Is there like some steady schedule for it? Pretty much. It's not always Saturdays, but there's like at least one or two races a month. Um, so they do like the the practices and the qualifying on Saturdays, and then the actual races are on Sundays. So I think it's it's Friday for practices, and then Saturdays for qualifying, and then like the races on Sunday. And a couple couple times a month for like six eight months, so it's like twenty ish races, probably something like that. Yep, twenty one. All around the world. Yep, all around the world. I mean, but if you're in the Western Hemisphere, North America, you've got three good races you can catch that are like reasonable time. Because there's the Canadian Grand Prix, the Mexican Grand Prix, and then the United States Grand Prix that actually is in Austin in October every year. Oh, wow. Oh, that's right. They do have that place. Where is it in Canada? So I think it's Montreal. Oh, okay. And then Mexico City, probably? Yep. Sweet. Are there any in South America? So there's Brazil. That's like the that's the second to last race in Sao Paulo. Interlagos is the track. Nice. I my my whole dream is to kind of like at some point in life make enough money to be able to like go to every single race in person. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing like with all sports until uh once I was uh traveling to Seattle and I was in this hotel and I was going to a local bike race just like a little, you know, like 50 people locals doing it. Um and I was there for business and I was like, "Hey, I'll bring my bike and it'll be great." Um and when I came downstairs, the entire hotel like entire first floor was um everyone dressed in nebraska red um uh, like football stuff and it was i guess it was saturday morning and they were going to like a uni like uw um university of washington was playing nebraska and all these people these heavy accents in my elevator i'm like what is going on and <laughs> these are just like diehard nebraska football fans who fly to every away game like every single time uh, like i didn't even know that that existed that people and it was clear these people are like i don't know, oil company execs or something like this is their weekend fun um yeah international races are fun the bike races i've been to they're a blast you know you get to travel but then you're there for something actually so yeah yeah so 
every couple couple every month it's on like a weird nbc sport speed channel that's probably um, now it's on espn so oh, that makes okay. it a bit more accessible oh that makes it a lot more accessible uh they're only like two hours or less yep that is that's amazing <laughs> like yeah. nascar is the worst those things are like four to six <laughs> hours I like watched NASCAR maybe two or three times in my life and really tried to get into it. And it was interesting for maybe two weeks, <laughs> but like right. I couldn't abide by the four hour like thing. Like, yeah, I had to fast forward two and a half hours of it. <laughs> right. So. Sweet. Um, anything you want to add before we go? No, I want to, I want to at least thank you for being a donor to the human utility. Oh, thanks. I saw you in your t-shirt a while back and it was nice. Like this is great. Yeah, uh, I think I learned about it through. I think I found you on Twitter, but uh, Christy that works at Slack with me sometimes. Um, you both did it, and like that's. I mean, it seems like a rad. Like whenever you remind um, people, uh, your Twitter followers, that like here's a thing you can do. It's like it's pretty easy, and you have it all in like Apple Pay. It was like I swear it took like two seconds. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, we try to make it as easy as possible, and then you know, because it's. I mean, it's it's a it's a hard problem, but like part of helping people is a really easy thing people can do is just donate. So, do you have to work in those cycles, like where it's like heavy in December, and people are trying to like do their year-end charitable giving and stuff? Oh yeah, that definitely happens. It definitely happens. So we're working on trying to smooth that out though, and get people giving throughout the year more. Um, we just introduced like birthday giving and whatnot. We're still working out some of the bugs from that, but you can do that all year long. Yeah, the charity water people really did that pretty well. Like half my friends seem to do charity water birthdays now. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's all year long, and then uh, monthly giving is a thing too. You can start at like ten bucks a month, and then go from there. And that's something you can do all year long, and so you don't have to scramble in December. And is uh, you've been doing that for like five years now, something like that. So this will be the fourth year we've been doing it. How big is the staff and stuff? So we're like five people. Um, we're not big. It's you know it's software that does most of the work for us, and so we're able to keep stuff small. And most of the people that are on the team are doing like soft stuff, like customer service. And I've got a person who I'm trying to hire now who's doing a lot of the copywriting and marketing type stuff. So I forgot to ask you earlier what what did the cities think of you? Are you like an annoying antagonistic thing or like? Do they just not even know you exist or like what's the deal? No, so it depends on who you ask as far as the kind of like opinion that you get of us. Like we've got some people who love what we're doing and want to work with us and other people who think we're like a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> if they what well, they did a better job, you wouldn't exist, right? You're the the group. Exactly. That's that's what we try to like kind of get across to people. Like if you actually help people and like gave them rates they could actually pay, we wouldn't need to do any of this. Um and again, we're not like a group that tries to cause trouble. I just think that we like highlight their failings as government officials. And, <laughs> I mean, you're turning off the water of cancer patients. That's the kind of stuff that yeah. goes on. And so it's kind of like, you know, you should expect someone to call you out for this. Um, you know, you've, we've got a, a woman who, like, lost her granddaughter, lost custody of her because someone found out she didn't have water in her house because she couldn't pay the water bill. And they took her granddaughter and put her in foster care. Oh, that's the kind of stuff that's going on around water bills. So it's kind of like I'm learning to not really care what the city people think about us because um, it's like if you did what you're supposed to do, none of this stuff would happen. You wouldn't be in the news and we wouldn't need to do any of this sort of work. So. You know, make water affordable for everybody. It should be a common sense thing, but it clearly isn't. 
or keep it keep it predictable for people um 20 gains year by year is not fair to anyone no and yeah that's uh it's uh, yeah and it probably should be like library fee you know forgiveness sort of like you know like cutting people off and or letting them rack up hundreds of dollars of bills it just seems nuts yeah that's what that's what happens you think somebody in city hall would be more i would call it responsible and more uh aware of what's happening but that's exactly what happens people build up these crazy bills and then you know they they want their money in 10 days or less and if you don't come up with it they shut you off um when meantime somebody could have reached out to you and they noticed the leak a while back. So it was interesting that you kind of, you know, bring that up a little bit too. Cause I went to, um, a water board meeting in Detroit back in April. And it's funny because like listening to some of the people on the water board talk about the water company's capabilities. I don't know who this woman was, but she wasn't one of the water board members, but I think she was like a, a, a senior staffer at the water department, but she talks about like, you know, in front of everybody, you know, we can tell if someone has a leak, you know, and blah, 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 blah. But it's, and I was just sitting there going, well, why don't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those like public meetings where you get like arrested or not really arrested, <laughs> get like kicked out if you make outbursts. So I had to sit there and just kind of like, you know, just tuck my, my tongue in as far as like blurting out, well, why don't you do that for people then? You know? Yeah. My local, um, water utility is super strange and it's in this little ruralish town and they they bill us on some weird six month moving average of use and i think it's average across everybody in my neighborhood which is weird because it doesn't give me a financial incentive to even care about water usage but we had we had a broken pipe in our backyard and it didn't hit our bill for like nine months because we were moving with some old average and um and I think when we went to repair it, um, we didn't notice this like over the winter, it like froze and cracked or something. In the spring, we go to fix it and the person like pulled our records, our actual usage records instead of our bills. And there was this like, you know, <laughs> using whatever it is, you know, 100 units, 100 units, you're using 300 units starting on this one day and then it just stuck there as pegged. And they're like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's clear you had a leak. Um, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> like, we never told you. And uh, and then they went and gave us a, cre- a credit for all our future bills. Like, they wiped it out. And I was like, well, uh, like, why didn't you tell me the moment you noticed this massive tripling of my water use? But, uh, yeah, I wish uh, – do you ever see having maybe, like, a regulatory angle to, like, try and get cities to maybe – I mean, it seems like if cities could – pass some limits on their um rate increases like that would be a lot safer for people that's one of our that's one of our like actual goals like people are like you're gonna pay bills forever it's like no actually the goal is to get like laws changed around this stuff so that at least it's not entirely about rate increases i kind of like like simplify that a little bit but it's about like uh, the rates that people pay being uniform and the fact that like someone who makes 70 K a year shouldn't be paying the same amount as someone that makes, you know, 14 K a year minimum, what is it? Uh, not minimum income, but minimum wage. Um, and they're just over the federal poverty line. They shouldn't be paying the same thing as someone who makes six figures yeah. um, because they just don't have the same income. And then, you know, it's, they're probably using a lot, a lot less water too, in some instances, um, but you know, in some places they're playing, paying like a fixed sort of rate that's like a, you know, there's a minimum bill in some in some cases, and then whatever else they end up using, 
And so our goal is to kind of like get cities to understand that you should introduce rates that are income based. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to like start up a pilot in Detroit, at least to kind of pilot doing that ourselves where we take people's incomes and we say, you know, this person makes, uh, they make minimum wage or something like that. And they make, you know, no more than 14, 15 K a year or something. They've got one kid that they're trying to support. So that means that they should be paying no more than 2% of their income toward their bill. Mm-hmm. So we have them pay that and then we pick up the rest or the donors pick up the rest after that. And then what happens then is that, you know, they're, they, they're out of the, the path of being shut off after that because the entire balance of the bill is paid, which is what the goal is. And, you know, I'm really excited about starting that up because I get the sense that people actually do want to pay their own bills. They don't want to be dependent on people, but they actually want to be able to like, pay something on their own. They just need something that's actually reasonable. And so that's kind of what we're going for. And like, you know, making it based on what you can afford rather than just everybody paying this uniform rate, no matter what's going on with you. I thought, um, D Ray McKesson's, um, uh, what is the vision zero like movement? I love that they came out with like that 10 point plan for, you know, safer cities and stuff as like a pivot from, you know, like the activism angle of it. It was like, um, you know, we're, we're there, we're protesting these, these, um, terrible situations, but also here was like this constructive bolt, you know, like 10 point plan for that, you know, that cities that, uh, police units should adopt to like, you know, make things better. I bet you could like come up with like, a you know, um, rates that are proportionate to income, uh, you know, rate increase limits or control of some sort so you can't blindside people with like way higher rates and stuff like that yeah that could be a thing that we do that's actually interesting you brought that up like yeah what like figure out whatever like five good ideas that would like that would um i would say like whatever cities where things seem to be working there's probably like you know like five venn diagrams that overlap of like you know um relying on um, infrastructure improvements that come from, you know, statewide or citywide bonds is probably one, um, you know, having some control over rate, some limit on rate cre- increases in the law itself. So they can never go, you know, more than 5% or something like whatever the percent is, there's probably like a confluence of like, and then you could probably rate cities that way. Like, you know, Seattle gets three green bars out of five and Detroit's getting zero out of five and Baltimore's like one out of five. And that would be, that'd be, Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's that's actually an amazing thing. It's something that's similar to something we started a long time ago, but never actually finished um, as a research project. Just like having people, like donors, send us their water, like sort of policies from their cities, and just seeing like what the difference is. That would be amazing to do. Yeah, I wonder. Like, I've never heard problems with New York, and I bet you there's all sorts of like consumer safety or whatever, consumer pricing protections in New York that, like, make it better. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of just, like, laws around, like, you know, especially if you're a renter and that kind of thing, like, the stuff they can deny you, the stuff they can or whatever. And Yeah, true. You know, and also, I mean, like, some of it's just, like, legal issues in the states because, like, Michigan, the thing that we want them to do around the affordability thing, there, there's a court case that was, like, from 2016, I think, that, a, this city judge ruled that water was not a human right, but then also, which, right, which is crazy and hilarious, which is just, like, bad. Yeah, sad. But, but, like, 
they were saying that a water is not a human right, but then also like the terms of Detroit's bankruptcy prevent them from doing something like that, which I haven't fully dug into what that actually means specifically. But I know that there's another, um, there's also a state constitutional amendment that they're using from like the seventies that where they're saying that if we like, if the state itself actually imposed like a rule around water affordability where it's based on like your income, they're kind, they're trying to claim that like the people who are paying more are being illegally taxed, which is what that constitutional amendment is supposed to prevent. Hmm. There's all these little things you have to figure out, like legally, what can we do? You know? So, and that's kind of why I was excited about doing the, the, the income based pilot because there's nothing that says an outside entity can't build something like that. So Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a cool innovation. Yeah. Sweet. I am going to pledge my birthday this year for this. Awesome. Thank Sweet. you. So anyone can check it out. at uh, It's DetroitWaterProject.org and it's the human utility. Thanks for being with us, uh, Tiffany. Um, uh, this has been great. And, uh, and now that I know that F1 is less than two hours, I think I'm going to watch a few races. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> Thanks for talking. Yep, totally. Thanks for having me on. Theme music for the show is Samaritan by The Long Winters on the album Putting the Days to Bed, and that's courtesy of Barsook Records and John Roderick. This show is sponsored by Fireside.fm, uh, the best and easiest podcast host I've ever used. If you host a podcast, definitely check it out at fireside.fm. Thanks.